Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. And for the next year, I'll be teaching entrepreneurship at Vinh University in Hanoi, Vietnam. So if you're passing through Vietnam, please come and visit me. Today, please welcome one of the world's leading hospitality innovators, Deepak Ori, author of A Bridge Not Too Far, which I love the title. So, uh, Deepak, let's start with you telling us your professional history, which is quite rich and interesting. Okay, so so, so I start a little bit before I started working. So I was not very good in studies, Mark. And uh, the only professional college in that time, India, uh, and I'm talking about uh, 85, uh, 1985. So that is 35 years back. India was all about expertise. The experience was never looked at. So either uh, if you have to be like recognized in India, either you have to be a doctor or you have to be an engineer or you have to get into being in a college to become a scientist or a computer program. So hospitality was not looked very well. And then India at that time hadn't opened to the outside world. So three years of hospitality school I did, I didn't even get a chance to look at how broccoli actually looked like. Mm-hmm. And that time uh, there was no Google, nothing like that. So for us, it was a green color cauliflower, small in size. So this is how we grew up in hospitality and the career opportunities at that point of time were very, very limited. And then I got into the government organization. Then I went to the Kepinski, then then uh, did few, came to Singapore, then went to, came to US for internship, uh, started my own business, uh, lost, not because of loss in business, but because of other factors, uh, more emotional factors, went back to India and then came back to Bangkok. And uh, this is my story. Uh, the best part of the story is, uh, which is, uh, can be any field or any business that I just never gave up. <laughs> and that's all matters as an entrepreneur. So you're going to get knocked down plenty of times, but it all champions always uh, manage to get back up. So let's talk about why did you write this book? I think my late father, uh, he was very impressed with what I was doing. And uh, he wanted me to write the book. And actually, he gave me a lot of values. And at hindsight, what I think, he never told me that. Maybe he wanted that value proposition to go to the outside world and help people who don't know what to do when you reach a crossroad. See, uh, we are in today's modern world, we all look at success and we all look at failure. And and uh, I, when people tell me, yes, they have failed, you know what I wonder? This definition of success is in, not right. If their definition of success is not right, definitely their definition of failure is wrong. So how can they be certain that they have failed? So, 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 so that is the reason I have written a book. Now, this book can be looked in two ways. People can say that it is my story. And someone who wants to get into the hospitality should be reading this book. Uh, But the whole goal and objective to write this book is that people should have the ability to correlate and use this in any kind of business. Uh, By the way, uh, this book is also a case study at the FIU uh, Business School for the graduate program. The Florida Institute of um, Technology. Florida International, yes which is a a really interesting, beautiful school to visit. And you were the executive in residence there, correct? I'm still the executive in residence. I'm part of the Pino Entrepreneurship Center. 
Uh, I'm uh, part of the Blackstone uh, 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 funded uh, courses there. I'm part of the teaching on the experiential learning. Uh, I co-created, my uh, colleague is here, Dr. Anna. We co-created a graduate curriculum on a luxury incubator course. So it's a lot of opportunities uh, that came out of uh, Florida International University for me. And I'm actually one of the very few people who could create a curriculum for graduate classes, though I'm not part of academics. And I've been teaching for about 20 years, and I'm not an academic eater, so I relate to you. Why did you settle in Bangkok and not places like New York or London that attract people who love to spend money on luxury experiences? Okay, so I think uh, the destiny, uh, uh, and I'll talk about these things. Uh, I'll talk about karma, I'll talk about fate and destiny, but destiny got me here. I got married, came for honeymoon. And uh, my wife wanted uh, to come to Bangkok for shopping. And she said, I'm not leaving this city. And I've mentioned that in the book. And that's where we stayed in Bangkok. And we stayed in Bangkok. And doing quite well in Bangkok. You talk a lot about your father throughout the book. Uh, Please tell us a little about your father who died um, not that long ago, correct? Yeah, 2019. 2019. And a few things, a few key things you learned from him that made a difference in your life. And by the way, I had and went through exactly a similar experience with my dad and felt that very fortunate to always have his backing. So I think my father has always taught me uh, that we should know our roots. And uh, the new management technique that I am and uh, Dr. Anna, we are using, uh, which is experiential learning, we're using the rule of principles, principle and rule-based hybrid model for management. I learned that from my father. And uh, very early in life, uh, he always encouraged me uh, to have a self-respect and do anything for the self-respect. So I think these are the few things I learned from my father. And uh, life is a marathon, not a sprint. And today I can use these things in a modern world, in a science, in my job and in my teaching. Um, please tell us about your luxury incubator project. And you were talking about a little bit about your, your work with Florida International University and that you're the resident entrepreneur at the Pino Global Entrepreneurship Center and that you took the word entrepreneurship and, and you have to see this in the book, I made 16 guiding principles. And, and what are they? Okay. So we start with the 16 guiding principles. So we have taken the uh, first alphabet. Uh, so there are 16 words in entrepreneurship. So, so it is efficiency, uh, nature, time, rules, execution, packaging, research, ethics, naivety, emotions, understanding, responsiveness, self-respect, hard work, innovation and perspective. But if I have to choose one out of this, I'll start with the self-respect. And if I have to choose the second one, it's time. Because for me, and I've described that in the book, uh, if anything, and I'm not hurting any religious sentiments, if anything I find in my life and in my experience, and I've seen with other people, powerful than God, then it is time. And people have to respect time. And time is very essential. And very important. But more than that, you have to have certain principles to uh, appreciate. So my principle was self-respect. Now, Florida International University, I think I'm very lucky and very fortunate that I got such a great opportunity uh, to actually co-create a course. And the idea came uh, from Dr. Anna. She said, you are so much into luxury. And she listened to my few interviews. So why don't we co-create a course? And we looked at it. Uh, from a very, how would I say, uh, uh, a very practical manner. And I'll I'll use this word practical and why I'm saying practical manner. Uh, I'll explain that in a, in a bit. What we did, we hired an outside company, though uh, FIU is the third largest research facility in US in the university, but we still hired an outside company to do a research. And uh, we wanted to take students out to explain them what is luxury. And uh, it was uh, uh, Miami, LA, and New York. 
And the idea was to take them to, we, we took them to the designer who designed the first Apple store. Uh, we, we took them to top brands. Some of them were part of LVMH. We took them to the luxury hotel. We took them everywhere. But where it impacted the students was when we took them in Orange County to eat a gelato. When we took them to a cafe where they had to stand for a cup of coffee and where we took them for a lunch of tacos, which was $4 a taco. And what affected them was an experience. Until that time, these students, all the students were thinking that luxury is something that they may not be able to relate to so early in life. And they realized luxury is actually an experience. It is an expression. And uh, the luxury incubator project uh, did that. And uh, the luxury incubator project also starts with something which I had designed during COVID called the OLI, which is Ori Luxury Index. And Ori Luxury Index uh, is the first of its kind in the world, which is the tangible trade-off of practicality and emotions. And so, you created this? Yeah. So, so there's going to be a paper uh, written about that also very soon. And then it is going to come out in, uh, say, in public domain. So just give an example. You take a branded bag, say, in LA and in New York. In New York, people don't like those blink things. They like it very simple. But these brands, they are selling the same thing without that blink at the same price. Actually, if they emboss their logo into the leather, they can actually sell it. So what Ori Luxury Index tells you when you enter the matrix, at what price you can sell and what quantities you'll be able to sell in any part of the world. So, so, so the whole luxury incubator program came out of Ori Luxury Index. And the most important thing that what we started and what the world is doing is experiential learning. I think you would be doing exactly the same. And that's why you are in uh, Vietnam teaching entrepreneurship teaching you experiences. Aristotle has said, pronesis, a word, a Latin word he has used, which is a practical wisdom. And there's another word called experiri. So we combine these two words to create a course, not only for students, even supported and sponsored by cyber and US Department of Education to bring the professors to Thailand and tell them, what is experiri? Experiri is experiment and experience. You try, you fail, you try, you fail, you try, you fail until you succeed. You don't have to be shy that why these things is not working. Now, failure can be described in uh, different things. Like Thomas Edison said, it's not a failure. It is few ways that things cannot work. Uh -huh. so, so, so this is what we try to bring into the faculty. This is what we try to bring into the students. And we were able to explain that in today's world, experience can, there's no substitute to the experience. And now let me ask you a question. And I think some of the viewers who are watching this may laugh. We all have, we all fly in the aircrafts, right? We fly commercial aircrafts. Yeah, right? sure. Do you remember any time that you're telling the pilot and if you are not a pilot, how to fly the plane? <laughs> Never. That's why we are sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we won't be here. If, right, if the of course. Would have listened to us, okay? Yeah, crash right into the earth. Yeah, but when we go to a restaurant, uh, we go to a hotel, we do tell people that this is not right and that is not right. And I guess because of the experiences we've had at other hotels, we measure against those things. And we actually think yeah, we know what we're talking about, but that's like sports fans telling the coach how he should coach. Yes. So, so the point here is, the point what I'm making is, is exactly we fly with the other pilots, with the other airlines, but we never give an increment that it was this landing or the other airline. Of course. Was good. Why? Because in our subconscious mind, we still respect expertise over experience. Flying with any airline is also an experience. It's not an area of expertise. Today, we will translate the expertise into experience. We are living in a very different world. We are living in a world where education will be freely available and we can have 8 billion people educated. Today, 40% of this population is not educated. We'll be living in a world that 
3.5 billion people in the world who are unemployed will have jobs. And then we can look at the technology and hire the robots. <laughs> because in some companies, it's very difficult also to distinguish whether it's a human being or a robot. So, so a respect for human being, a respect for diversity, a consciousness for climate change, all these things will come from experiential learning. So experiential learning is the key thing. And U.S. government and U.S. institutions are doing the best thing. The biggest export for the U.S. Department of Commerce is education. Just imagine when someone from our part of the world where we are, you are in Vietnam, I am in Bangkok for the time being, when, when someone from our part of the world goes to a USA university and graduate, it is like, oh, wow, we have gone to one of the best institutions in the world, or we have gone to the best country. Why? Because the education teaches a lot of experiential learning. And that is what uh, this export is very famous for. In the beginning of the book, you mentioned that travel interests are more focused on experiences than luxury. And you've been just talking about that now. Why is that? Okay, in in, in beginning of my life, I wanted to learn. And I could never go to top schools. So for me, my learning has to come from the experiences. Uh, observe people, learn from that, and understand why it has to be done like that. Also in life, luxury is an experience. Someone who has never seen a toothpaste in his life, using a toothpaste is a luxury. And in India, uh, in uh, 20 years back, uh, I think 45% higher population stays in the rural areas. Out of that 10% had never seen a toothpaste. They will use the tree bark to clean their teeth. For them, uh, Colgate Palmolive Company came with a 30 cent sachet of toothpaste and toothbrush put together, that was a luxury for them. So how can luxury be expensive things? Luxury is not an expensive things. If it is a price tag, then it is not a luxury anymore. Luxury is, for me today, luxury is being on your podcast, being able to relate to you. And, and that is a real luxury because it's not easy to get into your podcast also. For me, a luxury is to be able to go to Florida International University and teach students and talk to them. How many of people, see, you are coming from U.S. to teach in Vietnam. Imagine I'm doing the reverse. I'm in Bangkok going to U.S. and teaching. <laughs> I, have, I have to say the experience here in Vietnam has been awesome. I'm just every day glad to be here. Um, what are the first guiding principles that you would focus on when you get started? So like when you're starting any of your ventures, what, what are these guiding principles that you talk about in the book that you focus on? Okay, so, so I think the first thing I said, self-respect. That is my principle. So whenever I'm, I'm, see, when you do a startup, most of the startup, they start with the principles. Most of the mature organizations, they are very rule-based organizations. But the successful organizations are the hybrid of principles and rules-based. So, so from the beginning, I think self-respect. Second is time. And then understand the management. That introduce certain principles those principles, even we become mature and bigger, always remain in the organization. That is 80-20 principle. 80% rules, 20% principles, and you're running one of the perfect organization. And the example is during COVID. We never fired a single employee. The rule says you're not making money. You should fire the people. Principle says, why should you fire them when it's no fault of theirs? So what did the organization do? Like us, small organization, we got everyone together. There's a council. We said, what do we do? We just don't want to fire people and we all need to stay together. So tell us the best options. We took certain cuts, which were voluntary from everyone. Then we made certain rules based on that because we needed to standardize that. But the principle behind that was that we all want to stay together. We are in this together and we'll fight it together. You know, uh, sorry, yeah, please, Mark, go ahead. No, I, I, oh, I think one of the things that really impressed me was that you kept everybody together during the pandemic because you saw mass layoffs in hotels and restaurants uh, throughout the world. How did you manage to do that? I mean, what, what was it that you all kind of agreed on 
that everybody ended up keeping their job because so many of these people just would have went under on a personal level. So see, uh, at the starting level, people, we didn't deduct their salary so much minimum. At the highest level where I am, we, we, we took the major cuts. So everybody uh, was contributing to that. That was point one. Second was, it was clearly told to everyone that we are in this together. If any of your family members, you have any problem getting admitted to the hospital, things like that, we are there as an organization to help you. And why? Because our guiding principle when we started Labua was, a guiding principle was, people are our most important assets. So how can we change that just because of one COVID? Then what is the difference between us and other organizations? And that's why we didn't do it. And, and we are reaping the results today. Means uh, everybody is doing well. But uh, since you asked why you're not in New York and London, where, where people like to spend more money, uh, our profitability has taken a 10% rise. Okay. Though the revenues may not be at that level, hasn't come back at that level yet. Like this year, only like 2020. Uh, when every other hotel company was doing their profitability between 10 to 12%, say 6 to 12% in luxury segment, we did great 32 plus. Wow. Today, this year, we are talking about our profits at 40% up. So, so how are we doing that? Because this is where the employees shows how much they appreciated when we didn't fire them or how much they appreciate the principal and also the customers. They appreciate these things and they like to come and spend money. They, they like to appreciate the organization. Every customer today is a very conscious person. They, they always like to appreciate the organization which is doing good and, and, and keeping people in the job with no fault of theirs is the best thing one can do. And that is a principle. And, and clearly your people must have really appreciated that. And that's why they stick with you. Your turnover must be very little. I think our turnover always has been very little from day one. Uh, uh, if we, we have time, we'll talk about the hospitality. There are two or three things I want to say. Uh, Go ahead. All, Go ahead. Yeah. Say it now. So we, we don't have two departments in our hotels. We don't have a training department. And people say, how do we train our people? We have the best service. And the second thing is that we do not have a marketing department, but we are known quite well all over. That is the two things. Uh, we are, uh, you can say, we are an organization which is very innovative and we improvise, but we sometimes ask certain questions. Now, let me explain it to you, something which I'm writing an article, but I thought yours is such a prestigious podcast, so why don't I speak here? And uh, the message goes across. Uh, we there's a uh, a metrics. The way we measure our performances in hospitality is all going to change by year 2030. Why? We have a metrics called REFPAR, revenue per available room. You know why we have that? We took it from the airlines. That time there were no low cost carrier. It was revenue per available seat, but there was a mistake with it. The mistake was that in airlines, except buying duty-free, everything is free. The liquor is free, food is free. That's why they calculate revenue per available seat. Now, when we calculate revenue per available room, what are we trying to do? We are trying to hide our weaknesses in 40% other revenue or 35% other revenue that can come from food and beverage and other departments. We, because the ref bar has gone low, we tell the owners to spend more money on their properties. And uh, uh, the training of all the major hospitality chains are based on one stream, rooms, ref bar. Nobody's talking about total revenue per available room. Ref bar. It has just begun. Uh, people are realizing in US and few other parts, it is coming now, ref bar. That is one part. So I think uh, hospitality industry needs uh, uh, people uh, from graduate schools, people who are intelligent, people who can think and who can innovate. I'm not saying the present people, they don't understand, they don't think. It's just that we do not ask questions. Whatever is given to us, we believe and we move. 
And the reason we are doing well and we have been able to keep people because we are asking a question, why it has to be done like this? Why cannot we do it differently? You write three quarters of the way through the book, uh, your definition. Would you please share with us the definition of what brands in your industry represent this the best? You know, the luxury brands and the ones that you look up to the most. Okay, so uh, I look up uh, the most in luxury. Uh, the first brand is Louis Vuitton. Second is Hermes. Uh, I have a lot of respect for them. And why I tell you, and you're asking my industry, right? Yes. Meaning hospitality. So hospitality, I tell you, uh, I'm a big fan of montage. Uh, during a luxury incubator project, we took our students there. And we were to meet the director of sales and marketing uh, without telling us the founder of the hotel or the CEO of the company was standing outside and greeting all of us and shaking hands with all the students without telling them that he's a CEO of the company. When, when the CEO of the company, I mean, the leader has that kind of humility, the company has to do very well. And that's why they do very well. So that is one brand I have a lot of respect for. Uh, uh, the other brand that I have respect for, these are individual hotels I'm talking about. I have a lot of respect for RH. Uh, that is the restoration hardware. Uh, they have, uh, I think, 15 to 16 restaurants, but their new project at the meat packaging district, which is the RH guest house. So mm -hmm. I was just talking to someone and uh, they are taking a lot of brands. So you know which country I'm talking about. Every other brand is going to that area that is uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Right. So I was asking him that why don't you look at RH guest house? And that person is into luxury and everything. There's a lot of things. He said, you know what? We are right now focusing on luxury and high end. Once we start going to the guest house model, we'll look at RH guest house. So, so you see how, and that is where uh, in entrepreneurship, there's something called perception. So by the name guest house, people are thinking it is not at that level. We already decide. And I have seen that. Uh, in my early part of my career, just because I came from India, people have already decided before meeting them that I'm not fit to be at that senior management level. So, 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 so these things are already decided just by name or where you're coming from. Now the world is changing. And when I went to, and I was very affected by that, but when I went from internship to USA, uh, I met my mentor there, uh, which I mentioned in the book as Santiani. A name was changed, so I'm going to use that name, what is in the book, Santiani. He taught me to come out of this complex. And I realized how much respect this country gives to work. They don't look at your name. They don't look at your nationality. They don't look where you come from, nothing. They look at what you're bringing onto the table. And I said, if one country can do that, why can't we inculcate this culture, go back and do that? And we do that in our company. And that inspiration has been Santiani. That was mentioned in the book. If Santiani was not there in my life, maybe during COVID, I would have fired people. If Santiani was not there, I may not have hired people from different nationality. So, so, so to give them that kind of, we are the only hotel in whole of Thailand, only hotel in whole of Thailand, where one of the managers is from Myanmar. We were the first luxury hotel to have a Thai lady as a general manager. Luxury. And the hospitality in Thailand is 200 years old. So why it has to be us coming out of that? Because that was something, certain principles that I uh, got it from my father. A lot of things Santiani taught me. So we all need mentors in life. You, you mentor a lot of students. And yeah. I, I think these students are to appreciate that and will remember you and cherish you for all your life. So do read all the books, what your students are writing. Your name will be coming there soon, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that would be the case. So what, what, uh, when you picked the mentor, what kind of person did you look for? And what do you think, what kind of people make the best mentors? I think mentors always keep on changing. And I never picked the mentor. That gentleman came on his own, but his behavior, his respect, his willingness to teach his willingness to go that extra length actually helped and i realized that he's been until today one of my best mentors so so uh, 
that is, and when I got into education, Dr. Anna and Dean Hardin of Florida International University, these two have been my mentor in a nice way in taking me to the academic world and telling me how to get into the teaching and how to relate to the teaching environment. Because I just came from uh, a business environment and, and we created a hybrid and I got a lot of support. So you always keep on changing as your journey is changing, which is mentioned in the book, and you meet people and they add value. And, and the whole world is about help everyone when you can help them. Do you have a mentorship program in your own organization? Uh, no. Uh, formally, not formally. Yeah. Formally, uh, informally, yes. But uh, there's nothing called formally. These things should never be done formally. When it becomes formal, they lose their objectivity. How has the pandemic changed your industry now that things are relatively back to normal? I think the whole industry is going to go for a big change. Like I mentioned to you about the total revenue per available room. Right. That is one. Second thing is the whole asset management model. Okay. Now, third thing, now you told me that you are an angel investor and we are in the hospitality. Pick up the top private equity funds. Look at their verticals. You will not find hospitality. You'll find real estate. You'll find aviation. You'll find shipping. But hospitality world will not be there. But we get onto the stage us as hospitality professionals, including me, and say we are the top employer, we hire so many people and everything. Why we are not able to get that respect and recognition from these people? Because we have not been able to improvise ourselves. You know, we, 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 we have not been able to understand that there is a thing called a practical wisdom. We are looking at customers to come again and again and enjoy I experience, but we are not making an experiential learning for our people. The reason we do not have training department because there's an experiential learning. We have the best trainers in the world. You know who? Our customers, they are training our people. Why do we need a training department, one person sitting in the office? We have the best marketing team in the world, our customers. Why do we need to do marketing and plan and strategize? Give them an experience. Give them something with your heart and you know what? You don't never need to train your people and never need to market anything. You know, uh, you developed a brand uh, that's become a global brand that people know all over the world that come to, right? And a, a brand isn't something you paid money for. It's something that people experience, right? And then you become known for that brand. Is that what you tell your um, students and so forth about if you're going to go build something that people that you don't even have to use uh, marketing dollars to bring to. It's about what kind of service and quality and experience they have, right? So I teach the students three things in life. And I'm not taking, this is a little bit spiritual, but I don't, I, I have created my own thing uh, as scientific. Karma, fate, and destiny. Karma is, I tell them that you're sitting in this classroom. It's your karma. Karma is the past. So you're already here. Now, fate and destiny is future. You should always have positive thoughts in your mind. Then you have control over your fate. And destiny, with your hard work and proper planning, you make it. So if you do these three things in any business, you'll be very successful. Certain businesses may need marketing. Certain businesses may not need marketing. Now, look. We don't do marketing, but in hospitality, all our peers, they are into marketing. Look at the luxury brands. Louis Vuitton has a lot of marketing, LVMH group. Hermes don't have marketing department. So, so everyone has a very different way of working. So there's no set rule, but there has to be rules and principle to guide. Second thing, uh, everyone has to remember, and this is what I teach, look at the process. Never set your goal. Because you may be able to achieve bigger than your goals when you're looking at process. And third thing, keep on trying. Training. Training is very important. You know, uh, I was told, uh, one of uh, my colleagues told me that Deepak Ori, they call Kun Deepak here in Bangkok, you would know, that I'm a very tough person. You know, what was my reply? Go ahead. 
I said, there is no one in the world who's a tough boss. Either you have trained or untrained. I am trained. The reason I'm telling you do this because I know you're going to fail. I'm your GPS. I'm your global positioning. I'm telling you, yes. guiding you. You have to drive to your destination. I'm just your guide. So this is what I teach them. How much, how much has it, if at all, Airbnb changed people's travel habits and how have hotels and resorts changed to compete against them? I think uh, I have given my answers. Uh, uh, Airbnb is a model. The reason it has been successful is because they have been innovative. Uh, they have uh, used certain principles and rules to create their business. Hospitality, I think we are still stuck on those old things and everything, and we need to just wake up and improvise. And that is where we will be able to compete uh, or not compete, create our own niche as hotels and resorts vis-a-vis -vis Airbnb. Uh, what's the hardest part of working in the hotel industry? That you have to go home and sleep because when I'm working, I don't feel like going home and sleeping. Uh, you love it that much? Yeah, uh, everyone in hospitality. <laughs> Uh, has the hospitality in industry changed much since you entered it? I think uh, uh, every industry is changing with the time. And uh, there's uh, a lot of growth. Uh, brands are taking, brands are buying brands, everything. So a lot of mergers and acquisition that is happening. Uh, many more people are coming. Uh, so, so there's a lot of visibility for hospitality. There's a lot of respect for this business. So yes, it is changing. It is progressing. But I always hear people say that hotels, especially the big old hotels, had much better high touch uh, than today's even luxury brands, that they catered to people more, that they got to know the client better. Well, what's your take on that? I think uh, when you asked me the brands, none of the brands were big brands when I mentioned to you in hospitality, where I like to go and stay. So, so none of these brands are very high brands. The reason is that touch, that personal touch with people and that experience has to be there. You wrote to come up with new opportunities, you have to associate with new people and people of diverse backgrounds. How does that work? I think I, uh, when I was young, I appreciated the diversity. And I tell you why. I was very naughty and I would never go to the class and things like that. And one day the headmaster told that uh, I'm going to get a red card and my father has to come to the school. So I was like very, very nervous. And it's an old time, right? The postman will come. So I gave a little bit of gratuity to the postman and <laughs> that the red card will come to me and won't go to my father. But I entered and my father was looking at me and showed me what is this. So I was thinking what the postman has done means he, he broke my trust. Anyway, I said, uh, so how did you know? He said, this is your red card. So I saw it was a white card, but on top of the white card, it was written red card. And you know, that day I realized colors doesn't matter. People does. And that's the day that was a big lesson for me for diversity. And when, when you moving up, like I made friends with you, we were there 15 minutes up. Uh, we will definitely will be touching base. When you move up, you meet a lot of people. You are helping people or you're taking help from people. You create relationship. And, and suddenly uh, uh, you have a very good network of people because in the end, it is people helping people. Otherwise, the world would stop. You wrote that when you took over a hotel, you focused on five key elements in terms of room comfort. What are they and what did you uh, and why did you select those um, principles, I guess, or elements, I should say elements? So uh, I would always be choosing the hotel and some of those hotels would be very expensive. But I said, I'm going to stay there for these five reasons. So I said, this has to be part of the hotel that we are making, that is Labua. So that is cleanliness. 
स्पून बेवरेज एयर कंडीशनिंग टेम्परेचर दाथरूम्स हैव टू बी ह्यूज एंड हॉट वाटर हॉट कोल्ड वाटर कोल्ड एंड लेस गैजेट्स इन द रूम because i went to one hotel and it was such an embarrassment and the hotel was very high tech gadget and i wanted to sleep so i would press a button the shower would start i would press another button the <laughs> lights would switch on and in the end i gave up and i had to call them to tell me how this whole thing works and they were looking at me like oh you're the ceo of the hotel company and you don't know how this whole thing works <laughs> so 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 simple is the key thing see basics you know what we are afraid of in our life in any business when we start reaching a certain level we don't want to look at the basics but every business growth is the devil lies in the detail details for sure Absolutely. Tell my students that all the time. You have many great restaurants. Uh, <clears throat> you have many great restaurants. And I come from a city, Philadelphia, with a lot of James Beard winners. I mentioned that to you before we started the show. What are you looking for when you're uh, coming out with a certain theme restaurant that you think will resonate with people and where money is no object? Okay. So, so this is, again, an experience. so before starting the restaurant i would go to a hotel i'll have a i like drinking wine so when i'm the only person drinking i'll have a whole bottle of wine i'm <laughs> eating some food but nobody will come to my table but i would see a table next uh, is having a pizza and beer and uh, the top management of the hotel is going there why because that person is someone so which is very common but you have to look that we are coming from the asian side right so i said why don't we create a space where everyone is seen and give them an equality everyone gets the same service there's no vip or everyone is a vip and that's what we have created then we said that uh, thankfully we have chefs who are very smart very intelligent very focused and they said we are not going to go for michelin we are going to go for our customers and give them the best experience so if they like some dish every time the dish has to taste the same and being consistent and that's how we got the michelin award we didn't work for michelin it is the focus of the team to give that experience to the guest always the same experience since you have the skills in cooking you talk about this in the book how do you evaluate a chef that you're hiring and knowing if they're good enough for the quality of customer you're trying to attract i think we tell them to do the food tasting and we try the food and then we know whether he can do that but you i was wondered you know running in a kitchen and you're and at least from all these shows we've seen doing that how important is it that if the chef may have great skills and you might like the food but what if he's difficult uh to work for do you put up with the fact he's difficult because he's a genius culinarily what do you, how do you handle that what do you look for in the leaders in the in the kitchen i think uh, we have more confidence in our leadership ability then them being having a little bit of arrogance everybody has their ego their thing but we give a lot of independence to our team members and when they have that kind of respect and that kind of independence i don't think so i've not seen in my career anybody being so difficult uh to work with us i have not seen we we have issues where uh, they break certain principles or rules we we ask them to go not during covid but otherwise we do tell people to go that's a reality we we are not going to say that we don't ask people to go but never has happened that they are going because they feel that they are like the top of the world and nothing can change them no i think uh, the when we give a good atmosphere people will respect that and they will try to gel and blend in that The, the best chefs you have what's the profile of what they look like cuz some people are probably watching this show and they have aspirations especially with all these shows of making chefs um uh, rock stars what's the profile that you see in the in what a great chef looks like i, I think we are looking uh, for the taste of the food and the simplicity we add lot of value towards simplicity simplicity in in developing 
the cuisine and it's easily yeah. executable. Simplicity in plating of food. Mm-hmm. So, 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 and, and the flavor in the food. The flavor in the food has to be there. Our take is that any guest, when they take a bite, should be able to say what is inside the food. The flavors have to be very much felt. You know, you feel that. I was curious at a restaurant chain you brought uh, you're brought in to improve. Why did you get rid of takeout? I don't know any restaurant that doesn't offer takeout, even the most expensive ones. Uh, the takeout is simple uh, idea. You like the food, you come and dine with us. Because uh, when you do a takeout, the whole thing about us, that experience completely goes. We don't know how the food will taste, how you're eating it where you're sitting, that experience element is gone. Then he will take this, the guest will take the takeout for one time, two time, three time, and then he will find another restaurant. So the idea is for him to be loyal to us, we have to use some of these uh, techniques. So this was just, a, I would say, to make sure that our experience part stays intact. The chain you saved uh, and you were part of, oh. We have a question from the audience. Can you please elaborate on happiness as a management tool and what happiness means in business? Happiness means more profit and happiness means more customers, employee turnover to be less. And how do you create that happiness? Happiness is not that you tell everyone to smile. Happiness is ability to endure the pain. And create an atmosphere where people are in ability, have the ability or develop the ability to endure the pain. They understand. Second thing about happiness is to know who you are. We spend a lot of time in trying to understand others. Very few of us spend time to understand ourselves. So I always say, right thing to do is to understand others. And brave thing to do is to understand yourself. Why the last part, the brave thing is to understand yourself. What do you mean? Because we don't understand ourselves as as uh, business executives and everything. Because most of the time we are so busy in uh, imparting our knowledge or doing our business and everything. We don't know who we are after 10 years or eight years or nine years. We, we just don't know uh, what we have become. I'm not saying we have become bad. And it is very important to understand yourself. Take a step back and understand yourself. Most of us, I'll give an example. You Say, for example, I, I just gave a hypothetical example. I'm the CEO of Labua. And tomorrow, I say, I want to start something, something very, very small. 90% people, instead of looking at themselves and thinking that, oh, he's going for happiness, maybe thinking, oh, what the hell has happened with him? He was at the <laughs> top position. But they're not looking at themselves, what they're doing and how happy they are or how satisfied they are, and how much pain they can endure. So these these are the things, very basic element. And happiness is very individual. When people say, can you teach me happiness? Happiness can never be taught. You have to find happiness within yourself. The only thing I do is I can guide you and tell you the path and show you the path. And happiness means different things to different people. Uh, yeah. the, chain, the chain you saved and you were a partner in, you were ousted not because of performance, but it appears jealousies and a fear of being left out by the other partners. You wrote that you learned a valuable lesson about getting into partnerships. What was that? Uh, that never get into partnership. Do everything on your own. <laughs> that is the first thing. And if you get into the partnership, get your paperwork right. You know, uh, there's nothing called trust. That's an illusion. And uh, how many times we have said in our life that, oh, I trust that person. And after 10 years, something happened. Oh, I did a mistake. I trusted him, but now I don't trust him anymore. Trust is forever in life. Nobody breaks a trust. If somebody breaks a trust, that's not a trust. That's an illusion. So for that, the paperwork has to be very solid. Or if you can do it yourself without any partner, then go for that. But if you're going for a partnership, get the paperwork right. Because things can go wrong any day, any time. 
And time again, the word I'm using is the most important element here. Is there a significant cost differences between a running a mid-price restaurant and a Michelin star restaurant? And what's required to reach a Michelin status? I think uh, if anyone is working to get a Michelin star, they will never get a Michelin star. But if the restaurant is working to give the customer the best experience, they'll get a Michelin star. I have a lot of respect for Michelin. Huge respect because they have been there for so many years. They are very consistent, very thorough, and they know what they are doing. And running a casual dining restaurant, you can do that casual dining restaurant very well. You know, uh, uh, in U.S., I, w- I would name the restaurant and my mentor, Mr. Santiani, took me to this restaurant and everything was fine. You know why everything was fine? The owner wanted, and they, they make a huge channel of this, the owner always wanted three things to be done every day by the general manager. And these three things were basics. You have to prepare yourself to be part of the game. It's like a players and athletes. You don't have an athlete sleeping the whole year and suddenly the race comes and he goes for running and he'll be the winner. No, he has to run every day. And why one athlete is better than another athlete? His ability to endure more pain than anyone. Our body is the same. The shape of the body may be different. The build may be different, but we all take pain. But but someone who's a sports person or somebody who's a celebrity, someone who's as successful you are, is because you have endured more pain than others. I agree with you. I mean, we, we hear Michael Jordan and he had the flu and he was willing to endure whatever it took to win that championship. Or you re- read that somebody played on a, a broken ankle or a star lost a, a, a key family member and they still managed to get through it and perform it at a, at a top level. So I, I agree with that statement. Um, how do you stimulate your brain to come up with the new ideas that you come up with or at least take other people's ideas and you've heard them and act on them? Experience, meeting people, reading books, reading magazines. And uh, the best thing is watching movies and I'm able to correlate. How do you get employees to contribute ideas? Because I think a lot of times they're very hesitant uh, to suggest things for fear of looking bad or just the disappointment of being turned down. So I I tell you, uh, there are many examples, but I give you one example. One of our wine sommelier join is a very recent example. And we have these expensive glasses. There was a lot of breakages. And she came and said, why don't we change the glass washer and buy this glass washer? Definitely the breakage would be less. What did we do? We bought it and our breakage is less. So the idea is that we give that atmosphere and everybody comes and give the idea. We say 100 brains is better than one brain. So we have created a culture where people are encouraged to come and give the ideas. And do you, I used to, when I ran different organizations, I used to actually keep a list of ideas and who, where they came from. And every new employee got this package so they could see that maintenance people came up with this and we instituted that. And and, and I used to bonus all of them for the ideas that they came up with. So it would encourage more ideas from people that they knew it was important, but the writing of it and giving it to every new employee, they're always like shocked that we actually took these ideas and implemented them. Uh, Great. I think uh, I'm going to follow that because, but we don't do that, but it's a great thing. So it's, it's a great idea. Uh, what kind of print and audio books and magazines do you read? I think uh, when it comes to magazine, it's Economist, Time, uh, newspaper is uh, Financial Times, New York Times, Wall Street, Washington Post. So, so, so I think there's a three hours a day I dedicate to reading magazines. Uh, I don't do a lot of audio books, but I read hardcover books. Uh, I like that. You can see that at the back. So I read a lot of books. Yeah, I, I can see uh, your anyway. collection. Yeah, so I, I I read a lot of books. I was curious about this. Why was your ethnic background frowned upon by for an assistant manager's job? I think, uh, which I mentioned earlier, yeah. that uh, uh, 
people, uh, the perception, sometimes in the name or sometimes the other thing, people already conclude things in their mind. So I think we, we have to give a chance and that time the chance was not being given. So that, that is the whole thing. The world was opening up. World was uh, not ready at that point of time and I was ready to go. And that was a clash and I realized. And today I'm here and I give chance to everybody. So what a great thing to learn. If I wouldn't have learned that thing, I may not be able to give chance to other people also. Uh, you write that artificial intelligence, as we read every day, is having a major impact on your industry beyond what we've seen through bookings and recommendations on sites like Orbis. Please tell us about that. I think uh, I'm a big fan of technology till the time the technology stays in the background. Now with Orbis, Expedia, Booking.com, uh, the technology is at the background facilitating and creating a great experience for the customers to choose the hotel and come and stay. So I am a big fan of all that using this. I'm not a fan where uh, we are automating the things and taking away that personal touch, that human touch out of that equation. So, so, so I'm at the crossroad. I appreciate technology. I appreciate artificial intelligence. Till the time it is facilitating and enhancing the experience. But when the human touch gets lost, that is where the bother is. So with, when it comes to Orbitz, Expedia, Airbnb, uh, Booking.com, these companies are doing a great job. And they're enhancing the customer experience. But when it comes to certain restaurants, which says, oh, no human being, it's robots are there, or <laughs> everything's a vending machine, you go there. That is where I start getting worried. In the book, you advise students, and I think this can be anyone that's deciding on a school because of its prestige or picking a line of work. You write, decide what uh, what you value when you are at the crossroads in your life and to look back with the same sense of pride that you did it, it your way, like the Frank Sinatra song said, I did it my way. What are you telling people here? I tell people just dream and work hard to achieve your dreams. Because dreams are taken only to achieve. So, so, and you do it your way with your principles and everything. And that is, and that's the same thing what I said, fate and destiny is in your hand. When you dream, never give. You will have hurdles, you will have obstacles, but this will teach you to endure pain. But don't give up on your dreams because they are yours. You and need to. How do you make, how do you encourage people not to be afraid and, uh, of uh, going after their dreams. And have you had employees that have left you and started successful restaurants? Cause you know, it would be part of your tree. Have you had people that have gone and done that and, and how did you support them? Uh, we support them by letting them go for their career progression. And uh, there are many people who have been very, very successful who have worked with us not only in restaurants, but in hotel part, in management part, in te uh, technical uh, services background, they have done very, very well. So I'm very proud of that. And uh, how you tell people, at the end of the day, everybody has their breaking point. And, and uh, what I tell them is that endurance of pain, don't go from level one to level 100, go slowly. And that's why I say life is a marathon, not a sprint. So people who are not able to achieve their dreams are the people who are running a sprint. And people who are in a marathon are always achieving their dreams. Because slowly, slowly, they create a stamina, create an endurance to take more pain, and they reach their goal. We have one last question. Your industry used to be one where the lowest entry level worker, the busboy, dishwasher, prep cook, et cetera, could rise to the top by all the apprenticeships. Is that still so? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, uh, and I, I don't think so. It is only hospitality. I think it is every business that ability to dream and achieve your dream from any level to any level you can go. Well, I have to tell you, I have to get you to come visit our school, Vin University, because we have a big hospitality group and many of my students 
uh, major in hospitality. And there's a student that I want to introduce you to who has a great idea to help um, people with disabilities uh, by starting a vocational school for them and then a hotel. So I'm going to make that introduction with you. And I, I, I thank you so much for being on the show today. And turns out both of us are in the same part of the world. Hard to believe uh, that really ever happens to me. So thank you again. And thanks everybody for coming. I'll look forward to seeing you all next Friday. Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Have a great rest of your weekend. Same to you. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.